my name's David Vaughn. Welcome to Thursday night service. And we begin a brand new series this week called Asking for a Friend. Asking for a Friend. I don't know if you've ever Googled like a bar here or like on the computer here with a topic or a subject that might be sensitive, but we're going to probably cover it in these next uh, five or six weeks. Uh, some of these topics, honestly, I would rather not preach on. <laughs> I mean, they are spiritually culturally and relationally sensitive, but we've never backed off or backed down from talking about real lives with real people. And so a lot of folks are struggling with this, both in and out of the church. And so pray for me, got a lot to cover tonight. But uh, tonight we wanna talk about, I've got a friend who is divorced, divorced. And I wanna speak a little into those of us in our church family, uh, watching online or here tonight or and be here this Sunday, who are living together as well. Because this is a cultural phenomenon and the, the relational, the marital, the sexual connections between all these two are really uh, very similar in a lot of ways. So anyway, as is my style, as is our style, I just kind of speak plainly from my heart. I hope you'll hear my heart. I want to speak openly. It's not my intent tonight or any other uh, sermon that we preach in this series to hurt anybody's feelings, place extra guilt on anyone. But I pretty much made a commitment years ago that I would represent God in heaven and speak out the truth of God's word, even when it's an ouch effect. And I want to do that in love. And I, I, I hope you'll hear it in that way. Uh, this subject tonight that I want to talk about, depending on the pollsters that you research, is really important. Uh, we in the church uh, have kind of turned a blind eye to this divorce issue. We used to talk about it more a lot and now not so much. And that's why the divorce rates both inside and outside of the church are pretty high. It's still outside higher, 50%. One out of two people get divorced who are not Christians. About 33% though in the church. So here's the phrase I'm using. Sadly, far too many people marry for better or worse, but not for good. And I want to talk about that. We keep divorce lawyers, and we maybe have a few in our churches this size, we keep them in business. That's why they're so prevalent. I saw a sign for a unique divorce law firm. Here it is. Ditch her quick and hide. You can't make that stuff up. Don't be writing that down. I know some of y'all are thinking about this. Don't write it down. I want to remind those of you, the hundreds of us in this church who are divorced, that the same grace that God has given us for other areas of our life for the rest of us is yours too. You're an important part and member of this church and this ministry. So I just want to say right up front, and, and please, if you hear nothing else today, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. It is not. We talked about the unpardonable sin a while back. Divorce is not on the list. There are complex issues here, and boy, there's a, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs, but you can make an omelet, that's what I'm saying. So whether you are a divorcee, a single person who hopes to be married someday, a person who's currently living with someone, a married person in this audience whose marriage is very shaky right now, I think there will be a word for you and maybe your friend from the Father in heaven who is this huge fan of marriage and the family. He's the one that invented it. He knows more about sex than you'll ever dream of. He created it as a gift. He knows more about marriage and relationships. He knows your heart. So what does 
the Bible say about divorce? Oh, I could preach a whole series about this volatile subject, but this, let me get real simple and summarize it for you succinctly. It's real easy because you find it in Malachi 2. Here's what God said. It's three simple words. I hate divorce. And if you've been through it, you probably hate it too. So many reasons. I hate divorce. Someone once asked Jesus, believe it or not, about what he thought about this volatile subject as well. And his answer is found in Matthew 19. I'd like to just read it to you and then unpack some uh, explanation and some application for us. It says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him there and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And notice they're not looking for an answer. They're looking for, it's a trap to catch Jesus. But they came to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. This is significant, male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united or cleave to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, it's a kind of a concession. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery, Jesus says. At this particular time in history, there were basically two views on divorce. The first in Jesus' day, and there was a camp that subscribed to that, and that's why they're trying to get Jesus to pick one side or the other to catch him, make half the audience mad at him. The first was that divorce, first camp was that divorce could be done for any reason. Any reason, your wife cooked a meal that you didn't like, she snored, she wouldn't give you the TV remote, whatever it is, you could let her go. Deuteronomy 24 said, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he can write her a certificate of divorce. And boy, they were very liberal with the term indecent, find something indecent about her. And many wrote them a certificate of divorce. The second view was that divorce was only exclusively for the reason of sexual infidelity. Remember now, the Pharisees are asking this Jesus this question, not to get an answer, but to get him in trouble. So let me summarize Jesus' words right here for you. And he kind of falls in this camp, it appears. Jesus says this, divorce is contrary to God's perfect will. What Jesus is saying is the ideal, the ideal is for one man, one woman for one lifetime. And in an ideal world, no one would ever get divorced. Now we know it's a fallen world and people do mess up. So having said that divorce was permissible in certain circumstances, Jesus says is a concession. Moses made accommodations because of the hardness, the hardness of people's hearts. I would propose to you that sadly we have hardness of heart today. Similar things have to be accommodated sadly. As I research the Bible, and I've been asked about this over the years in ministry, there are, as I see it, several biblically acceptable reasons for divorce. And it's easy to remember uh, because they all start with A. So stick with me. Number one is the one that Jesus said here, adultery. 
The word he uses is immorality. It's the word from which we derive pornography, uh, lewd sexual conduct, uh, incest, uh, adultery, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. Adultery is a reason why you can. You don't have to, but you can get a divorce. The second justifiable reason, as I understand the scripture, is abandonment by a non-believing spouse. You could read more about this. If we had time, we could unpack it in 1 Corinthians 7. Paul talks about this. I personally think there's a third reason, although technically not outlined the way that Jesus describes it here, but I would call it physical abuse physical abuse. Now, sometimes couples will get divorced because of verbal abuse, and that's kind of a, a subject that, you know, is in the gray area. But I personally don't think God would expect someone to stay in a relationship that was unsafe, where their life was at stake. So in my words, in my thoughts, these are the three biblically acceptable reasons to be divorced. And some of you in this room, some of you watching online, fall in one of those categories. So let me speak some words to different categories of people. I know my flock pretty well, well, most of you. To those of you who have the biblical right to end your marriage and remarry because of the reasons I have just stated, here's my advice to you. Proceed carefully and with wisdom. You are vulnerable, go slowly, seek wise counsel. You remember the halt analogy I give for you when you're tempted, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, that acrostic slow way down. Because you do stuff when you're angry and getting ready to be divorced. I heard about this man who was driving by a house and had a Mercedes Benz sitting in the front yard. Sign on the car said, $100, whoever's first can get it. The guy stopped, he gave it $100, he said, I'll take it right now, I don't even care if it runs. But I gotta know, why are you selling this thing for $100? She said, well, my husband just called me from Hawaii he ran off with his secretary and he told me to sell his car and send him half the money. <laughs> Be very careful when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired. If you do happen to be, get divorced, then you're gonna have to struggle with accepting it that it's over. Now this is a really difficult assignment for Christian people who were and are deeply committed or married. They don't want it to be over. Studies have shown that it takes two to three years to go through a grief cycle when someone close to you dies and if there's been a divorce. And there is a sense in which divorce is even more difficult to recover from because that person didn't die. They're still walking around and there's no closure and you have to deal with them in family situations and deal with them in every kind of other entity in your life. And it produces pain every day. We have a program called Divorce Care that runs on Tuesday nights that starts September 10th that might help some of us. We also partner uh, with an outstanding ministry for at-risk marriages called Retrovi. And they have a session that starts this fall. Our office can help you with that. So if you are divorced, you're gonna have to work hard at forgiving your ex-partner. It really is a challenge when they, when they have wronged you in that way. If you've been through a divorce here, but look, can I tell you this? Extend yourself to others and tell your story. Who understands an alcoholic like somebody who is an alcoholic or was? Who understands what it's like to be addicted to drugs, somebody addicted to drugs? Who understands what it's like to be divorced rather than somebody who's been divorced? I mean, the most life-giving words that you can give to anybody when you tell your story is this, I ha that happened to me, I'm not ashamed of it, I'm sad about it, I've learned from it, uh, maybe I can help you, here's some truths that I have learned, and 
you will hear the most life-giving words back to you when you say that, me too. Those two little words are what people need to hear. You say what you did, me too. So if you're hurting and you're broken right now because of marital infidelity or any of these other reasons, if you've been divorced, Jesus would really say to you, me too. Did you know this? Did you know that God is divorced? Oh, I'm gonna lay a new truth on you. Jesus wrote to the people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, he said, because of your unfaithfulness to me, spiritual adultery, you worshiped idols, and I have given Israel their certificate of divorce, Jesus says. So if divorce is an unpardonable sin, God's divorced. That's a whole other theological issue, okay? God sinned. He's a divorcee. He is close to the brokenhearted. And some of us in this room, maybe right now, are on this journey, this path where that's going to end it up for maybe legitimate or illegitimate reasons. Now, here are a couple of questions that people ask me all the time about divorce. I won't answer all of your questions. You can email. I'll, do, I'll give it a shot. Number one, if I remarry, I've had this happen. And usually it comes from a legalistic past that we have. David, if I remarry, do I commit adultery or am I living in this like continual state of sin? Well, the Bible makes it clear that if you have been divorced, it's not God's will for you to return to your original marriage to be forgiven. There are actually preachers, and I heard them do it, who said, if you want to be forgiven by God, you got to divorce that second person you married to, go back to your original spouse, and that way you'll be right with God. I mean, I've never heard of a case where God, two wrongs make a right. In fact, the Bible says it's a sin, if you've already remarried, to go back to that original spouse. That's detestable, God says to him. So grace covers divorce, even if it's not done for valid reasons. It's possible some people got divorced even before they became a Christian. Another question people ask, David, does unfaithfulness mean a one-time affair or a pattern, a lifestyle, a habit of dishonesty? Well, either one is just cause, just cause to sever the marriage. But here's the way I look at this, and this may... uh, uh, let me think how to put this. This is going to be a hard truth to hear for some of us, uh, but I'm going to kind of give it a shot. It is possible, even though God gives you permission to divorce, it's possible to forgive and restore that marriage. That would be preferable. And we have examples of that in our church where people have committed adultery, but they said, I've made a mistake. I want to come back. And they came back together and their marriage is there. There are some pieces that are broken and they have to work on that. So the Bible says you can or may get a divorce. It doesn't say you have to get a divorce. So think about that. But if your husband or wife has a pattern of unfaithfulness, the marriage might be uh, damaged beyond repair. Trust is broken. Jesus permits that divorce. And when God permits a divorce, he also always permits remarriage. You do not have to remain single and guilt-ridden the rest of your life until you get to heaven. Well, David, what if I've been divorced multiple times? Well, there was this gal Jesus met in John chapter four who'd been married five times and was currently living together with someone by the well, kind of like a friend with benefits kind of situation probably. And Jesus said to her, you're right. You've had five husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. He offered her this living water. So this is a scandalous thing in their day. In our day, five marriages, shoot. You know, we probably got some people got more than that. But David, marriage is tough. 
<laughs> I didn't know staying married to this person who's driving me crazy is so much work. Yeah. That's why marriage starts out as the ideal, then it becomes an ordeal, and some people get a new deal. <laughs> but David, it would just be easier to divorce. It would. But persevere. Persevere. That person who drives you crazy may be the sandpaper that God is using in your life to make you a better person because you and I both know it's never just one person. One may be more guilty than the other, but it takes two to sever that union. And some, some of us, maybe we kind of get high and mighty and say, oh, it's all their fault. It's never just one person. And I think there's some great reasons why marriage, you should be permanent, why it should, you should stay together. I heard one of my counselors tell me one time, David, there are two things that should never be started prematurely, embalming and divorce. That's what I said. I thought that was really good. So here's a couple of reasons why you should stay married. Divorce people will tell you that the scars, even when legitimate divorce occurs, are never totally healed. Family, emotional, spiritual complications not to mention financial consequences. If you think you're gonna get divorced and have all the money that you've ever had, you are sadly mistaken. Maybe you've heard about the new Barbie doll. Have you heard about it? It's called Divorce Barbie. It comes with all of Ken's stuff. That's what it comes with. Some of you guys who are divorced, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just don't wanna say it yet. God also meant marriage to be permanent for the well-being of children. Do not kid yourself, children are affected by divorce. We can have people on the media say, oh, they'll be okay. They're, they will not. It does affect them. Some of us here are children of divorced people. We saw that model and that's why we're divorced. It will affect them. Yes, can they get through it? Yeah, it wrecks their lives, their little lives. And we deal with it all the time in our church. And so it's not right probably just to stay together just because of kids, but man, they're so worth it. They're so worth it. And maybe you have to wait a little bit. I heard about this guy who was 97 and his wife was 95. They went to a judge to get a divorce and the judge asked him, well, why'd you wait so long in life to divorce? And the couple said, well, we wanted to wait till all our children died. <laughs> maybe that's the way to go. But a permanent marriage is a great testimony of faith in Jesus because marriage, that metaphor, Jesus says is like Christ and his bride, the church. So just decide early on that divorce is not gonna be an option. Don't make it an easy escape because once you get divorced, the second one comes around a lot easier than the third. Hold high the ideal of marriage. If you're married, work through your issues, stay content, stay engaged, cultivate, invest in your relationship. Be careful about comparing your spouse to others or criticizing the spouse that you do have. <laughs> I heard about this bumper sticker on a woman's car that said, all men are idiots and my husband is their king. That's what it said. <laughs> Probably not helpful for the relationship. I, I don't know who the husband was. Now there are a couple things that I've offered tonight that can divorce proof your marriage. I hope you'll apply that so that uh, when divorce time a conversation may uh, occur or enter your marriage, that you will recall back on this message and you'll say that that's not what God wants, that's not what David wants. But let me give you a couple other hints to kind of divorce proof your marriage as I kind of transition and finish up here. Uh, if you are getting married soon in our church, 
and you never got this before you were married, premarital counseling is hugely valuable. Uh, I grew up in a generation where it, it wasn't known how valuable it really was. A lot of us did that, and we, we are still married, but it would have been so helpful to know what the issues were. Rock Solid Families with Linda and Merrill Hutchinson in our church can help with that, rocksolidfamilies.org. Uh, Go to premarital counseling, go to postmarital counseling, uh, go to a checkup. The odds of you staying together are greater when you go through counseling than when those that do not. That's why we really require it, we urge it for our people. Find a mentoring couple that's been through where you've been is also hugely beneficial. And we have lots of older couples who would love to mentor younger couples in our church. Um, we offer healthy marriage nights the last Friday night of each month. It starts at the end of August. Now, one more thing, because I talked to you, told you I was going to talk to you a little bit about divorce. I want to talk to those of you who are thinking about living together or are currently living together of any age. It's not just a young people thing anymore. It's an old people thing as well, or older people. So if you're thinking about that, I highly recommend that you don't. And let me tell you why. I, I get the thought process. Younger people especially they have witnessed or experienced the pain of divorce in their parents, they're apprehensive about that. Logically, it makes some sense. If we're gonna commit uh, the rest of our life to this person, wouldn't it be wise to see how we get along, kind of like test driving a car before you buy it. And clearly many in and out of the church are choosing this option. Living together is now normative. Uh, cohabitation has increased 900% over the last 50 years. Most polls show that a majority of Americans, even Christians, now believe that's okay to do. I'm so counterculture with this, I know. But many couples view this as this natural next step of progression in their relationship. But aside from the clear commands of scripture, because God wants something better for you, couples that live together are fighting huge odds against a happy and healthy relationship. Oh, there are exceptions to the rule. But just so research says, and I can put this in my direct from David next week in my email, just over 50% of first cohabitating couples ever get married. They, they never do. In the US, couples who live together first are at a greater risk for divorce than non-cohabitating couples. Research shows that cohabitating couples are more likely to experience infidelity, have more fight and violence in their home, earn less money, they're less wealthy than their marital peers, and compared to married couples, have higher levels of depression and substance abuse. That's just the facts. You won't hear that on the media. You won't see that on TV. But David, we've like already slept together, so what's the big deal? It's just like a piece of paper that marriage license. Well, if it's not a big deal, why don't you go get one? That's because it is a big deal, and you know it. Even if you weren't raised in a church, you know it. Uh, cohabitation is kind of, kind of, I compare it to like buying a fake Rolex watch. It looks good at first, but over time you realize it's a cheap imitation of the real deal, the real thing, which is marriage. Because what you're doing, if you're single and living together, you're pretending to be married, but you're really not. So you're not really experiencing the best of either world. You're not really single, you're not really married. You're not enjoying all of it to the fullest. And as a result, you're forfeiting the benefit of both. And God wants something better for you. I had a couple say, well, David, uh, we already like, we're intimate. We already had sex. And I've had some couples say, you know, we're living together, but we're not intimate. 
Do you think, I'm a pretty naive guy, but you know, come on. I, I, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. There's no way, there's no way that happened. But we say, David, we've already slept together. So we're already like married in God's eyes, right? Well, yes and no. Yes, that union of oneness has occurred informally, but no, God would have you make it a formal thing. Sometimes I hear somebody say, well, David, I, 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 we, don't, we don't have the money to get married. Well, if that's what the driver is for you, I have good news for you. I've talked to our ministerial staff. We will do your wedding ceremony in July. I got married in July. It's a good month to get married. We will do your wedding ceremony for free if money's the driver. Now, I'm not going to give you a big cake and all that other stuff. I don't have that much money. We're in a budget crunch here. That's why I had to do plastic donuts. But anyway, uh, we, will, we will marry you for free. In return, I'm asking you to go through a counseling program and pay 50 bucks. It's like $200 normally because you need some skin in the game. If you want to take me up on that offer, you're watching online, you're here tonight, you're, you're watching again, or you're here Sunday, you just contact the office, take us up on our offer. We will help you take the next right step. That's my goal. So regardless if you've got a friend who is divorced or divorcing, you've got friends who are living together, please understand that divorce particularly, and all of this subject, is a complex situation. I will end by saying this, good people, I, I've seen it here in our church, good people can and do get divorced. And there are no two divorces alike. This is my learning as a pastor now after all these years. There are no two divorces that are alike. Each one has a story behind them. And the older I get, the more I realize that there's a lot more gray in life than I first thought when I was this young, black and white oriented pastor. I, I, when I was young, I would say, that's wrong, that's right, live with it. There's a lot more gray. It's never as bad as the prosecution. It's never as good as the defense. It, it's somewhere in between. And so as a church, we have to learn how to deal with messy people, messy situations, and that requires messy grace. And we will not always get it right. So I hope my words uh, have been helpful, hopeful for you. Uh, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> and I hope that if you are divorced or divorcing that something, or living together, something I've said that the Holy Spirit would use, I hope you've heard my heart on that. I just try to represent God as best I can, and uh, that's all I got to say about that. We will continue this series next Sunday. Now, for those of you who come Thursday night, I'm, awesome. I'm so glad you're here. We are not meeting next Thursday night. It's 4th of July. Go do your fireworks thing, okay? So we are meeting again Thursday night, two weeks from night. So, but next Sunday, we continue with sermon number two. I have a friend who is racist. I have a friend who's racist. You may not have any friends who are racist. I doubt that too. So my buddy, John Hampton, coming up from Florida, he has a unique family story about this that I, I know you're going to enjoy. So we're going to have some folks down here to pray down front. If you want to contact the office for any of the stuff that we've talked about, uh, if you want to meet with us after here for three after, that'd be great. Don't forget those blue boxes uh, if you're taking that six-week donut challenge. Now, before we dismiss, if you would just indulge me for a minute, I want to share a little bit of some church family news with one of our staff. Um, and this uh, is a little sensitive, but it's the way we operate here at the church. 
Uh, when a staff transitions off, sometimes in most churches, like they keep it down. They don't want to talk about it. People will guess about what they're doing. That's not the way we roll. It's a little painful and honestly, a little awkward. But I shared in my direct from David this week that uh, James Hansey on our staff is going to be transitioning off our staff by the end of July. And I just want to read for you in case you don't get my direct from David. You probably all sign up. There's some pretty important stuff that comes through there. But I want to read this for you, and then I'm going to invite James to come up here because I want to pray for him, and James may uh, want to say a word. But here's what I wrote. After some significant strategic planning and months of discussion, James and I realized that now would be a good time for him to transition away from our staff. He and I actually have been discussing this in some way since last Thanksgiving. But based on the future staff structure we're putting in place to accomplish our mission, James' gifts and strengths will not be able to be fully utilized as they have been in the past. You need to know that James has been a key part of our journey uh, getting to here from Westwood Cheviot to Whitewater Crossing. Him leaving our staff is not due to any conflict between James and me or any other leaders, no failures in integrity. James has been very loyal, very dedicated, very flexible in his duties. But the leadership skill set required for James' position at our church in the future, at our size and scope, has simply changed. So he is considering several options to pursue, both in and out of the church. He's got a lot of them. Uh, he and I will be glad to answer any questions in coming days about this. He'll be around for a while. We love the Hansi family, Deanna and Hope and Lydia and Tajay. And uh, James will always be connected to the Whitewater family in some ways. And honestly, uh, this is a bittersweet for a lot of reasons, but I am counting on God to guide him and us. And as James' teaching role here impacts our entire church, uh, we announce it on the stage where his greatest influence, their greatest influence is. So uh, some of you know, a couple weeks ago, Anita Reidner on our staff announced to our student union service that she was going to be transitioning uh, off our staff as well. Uh, and so for James, I wanted you to hear this at this moment. And we're gonna be here and uh, hosting a churchwide reception for James after the July 18, 21 service. So you can uh, say, uh, some words to him because I know he's made a difference in uh, so many people's lives and it's a new chapter for us and for him. This is one of several staff changes, transitions being made this summer. Uh, those of you who are leaders know that these are never easy. They're complex. They're for lots of reasons. So I wanted to tell you what it was not about and try to describe what it was about. But this is our attempt to better align ourselves to accomplish our mission and your trust uh, I'm, I, I just have to ask for, and if we've accumulated that, if I have, I'll, I'll probably have to make a withdrawal from that. But flexibility prayers for James and us as we make some difficult but necessary uh, adjustments. So that's what I wrote. Uh, that's what it is. So uh, I, I don't know where James is. Thank you, brother. Come on up here. So James, I want to pray for you, but Tell us what you uh, want to tell us. I, say um, I had a friend who just retired after 50 years of ministry. And uh, he's never got to experience a lot of what I've experienced a lot of across. So I'm just grateful. Yeah. I'm really, really grateful. So that's all. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. That's right. So 
Just know that uh, James has been faithful, started out part-time and now full-time and has been through the ups and the downs. And so uh, this transition, exceedingly stressful for James. And it's not about David, but I can tell you he's loved and this has not been an easy thing for me as well. And James knows that and uh, he knows I love him. And uh, I was saying, James, can we do this? Can you do this uh, tonight? And he said, yeah. Yeah, we won't go off the rails. That's all, that's all I can say. So just know what a good man of God this is. And he is trusting God. All the things he's preached to you about, about trusting God for what's now and what's next, he's living out right now. And so let me pray for him. If you could just stand and if, you, if you're comfortable extending your hand here uh, toward us and James, I just want to pray and we'll dismiss. Father in heaven, we've talked about a lot of sensitive subjects tonight. Uh, might as well just add one more uh, here. And so for uh, the divorce and the living together, all that stuff that James and I have taught faithfully about over the years, we are thankful that you have given him uh, a, a part to play in this cosmic redemptive adventure called Whitewater Crossing. And uh, Father, there are necessary endings that occur in our lives sometimes, and uh, th this is one of those. And so I just come to you now and I pray for my brother and whatever's next for him, it's gonna be bright. And I know, God, you're going to work, even though right now we don't always see and know. I pray for our congregation, Father. I know many are uh, fans of James, and, uh, Father, they're, they're loyal and they're encouraging of him. And I know there's holes in our, our hearts, some of us, for that too. Uh, but, God, thank you that there's a new beginnings and that for every door you shut, you always open another one. And that, God, we can trust you in every single capacity of our life. Thank you for the ministry and the difference and the people that are in heaven because of James. And, God, I pray for us, me, myself, and others as the church as we continue to make uh, sometimes difficult decisions that we believe are in the best interest of uh, our mission of reaching even more lost people than we currently are in discipling the found. And so, God, we just come to you with all of these things on our heart. And I thank you for uh, my brother here, and I pray an extra special blessing on this weekend, which is uh, hard on our hearts and his, I know. So thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you. All right. Hey, again, thanks for joining us online today. You'll see links in the notes or the comments section to be able to let us know who you are if you're newer around here and to give generously online if you call Whitewater home. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.